Scripture today comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 42 to 45. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. Thank you, Sister Allie. I want to invite everybody to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Electronic Bible as well as your your handheld Bible. Um, we're going to just be right there in Mark chapter 10 this morning. I uh, won't even have any other text on the screen. Everything's going to be right there in Mark 10 this morning. Um, and since we do have some special guests next week, um, those of you that are trying to follow along next, the following week, we'll be covering Mark 11 and Mark 12. And so those will be the chapters that we'll uh, return to for the last Sunday in March. Well, this is the time where I tell a couple bad jokes. And if you laugh, I know I determine whether they were bad or not, okay? So we, we try and figure out, I mean, we, we, we've already been complaining every, we've been complaining as we've gotten here, mostly because I've been complaining, but about spring forward. Do you guys ever wonder, I mean, how these old style clocks feel? They get ticked off. Every year. Now, there was a joke about, there's a story about a, uh, not a joke, definitely not a joke. There's a story uh, about a uh, pastor was at sea and, and the, the, things were looking really rough. And it, it didn't look like the, uh, the, the ship was going to make it. And uh, the, the captain stands up. Is there, is there anybody here? Is there anybody here on the ship who knows how to pray? And the pastor, nobody else was looking around. So the pastor lifts up his hand. He's like, I know how to pray. I, I can pray. He says, Pastor, great. Hey, we're going to put all of our life jackets on while you pray. We're one short. So thank you. Thank you for being here. All right. So I say we're 50%, 50% funny this morning. Today, we are going to continue in, in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in those last passages there in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And today's title of today's message is called The Power Grab. Interesting language that is used uh, in, in this text that we're going to unpack uh, starting at Mark 10, 35. You, you don't ever see like power grabs in our culture today, do you? Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? When I say power grab, like people wanting power and like, you know, doing things like even starting wars for power. I know that that was for, you know, that was more in biblical times or historic times. We don't see anything like that today, right? I'm being sarcastic, of course. We see this, not only do we actually see this taking place um, where, where nobody can even understand and try to get in the mind of Vladimir Putin for why he is doing this and everybody's got their theories and everybody's got their ideas but nonetheless, we can conclude it's some kind of power grab. But it's not just limited to, to dictators. We see these kinds of things take place in our culture all the time. And we, we, it's not hard for us to notice when it's happening. We have come to understand that it, even if you, if you study history at all, that this is the way that the world has worked. This is the way that people come to power. This is the way um, <clears throat> that, that people, in most cases, that people that that are responsible, that are in charge some way, somehow, they know they've done some manipulating in some form to get to where that they are at uh, when it comes to politics. And, 
And so, so, so Jesus actually addresses that in this text. Because James and John, they got their ideas of how they're going to get what they want. And we're going to see how Jesus addresses this, this idea uh, in this text this morning. So I love the word of God. And, 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 and again, as I've told you before, I love just being able to go through chapters of the Gospels. There's so much more in this Gospel. We're only hitting on a section. And so, again, if you ever have questions about these things, I would be happy to address them if you shoot me a text before service and, and we can get into some of those things as well. But we're going to just take a look at, at Mark ten thirty five through 45. And I want to begin uh, with a word of prayer. Well, Jesus, you're alive. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege to open up your texts in this moment and discern what your spirit is saying to us in such a time as this. And in these moments, and I pray everyone across this church would recognize that these can just be like moments that are just another Sunday, moments when we hope the clock runs out so we can get back home and take that nap for that hour we missed, or in a moment like this, you can allow the word, we can allow the word of God to speak to us in a way that brings about change, a way that maybe we didn't want to admit that we needed, but Lord, your spirit is speaking, and how can we deny Lord, your words and your truth. So today, awaken us as we're all maybe a little drowsy. Awaken us to your presence. Awaken us to your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to pull four, four points out of this. And in each one, I want to give you um, some application this morning. And so the first one I want to talk about, it comes out of just James, or excuse me, Mark 10, 35 through 37. We're going to first talk about the power of, that they wanted, referring to James and John. So here's what it says in verses 35 through 37. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said in verse 36, What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Now, here we are again, this similar theme, like the, a little bit like we had last week. I really feel like as I'm, pre, as I'm studying for this message, it's a very similar theme as last week. If you remember last week, Peter pulled Jesus aside when Jesus started saying that the Son of Man is going to have to suffer many things. And Peter pulled Jesus aside and told him how it was. The scripture says Peter rebuked him and his, no, Jesus, I don't think you understand. Okay? Now, uh, we, we, we make light about that, but oftentimes we do similar things. And so what's happening, just like a lot of the political power grabs that we see in our world today, James and John, in this moment, they're trying to have their backroom talk with Jesus. Like that backroom talk where the real politics happen before they come back out with the public theater in front of all the cameras and all the Congress, and they stage some, some kind of questioning when they already know the questions they're going to ask. They're already, they're, they're, they know they're already grandstanding and performing for everybody, but the real stuff often happens in a back room somewhere, and that's what James and John are trying to do in this moment. Hey, hey, I know, I know we got all these other disciples here, but you know, we're, so we're like, like related to you and stuff, J- Jesus, so I just want to make sure you know, when you come in your kingdom, we're going to be sitting to the right, we're going to be sitting to the left. And, I, as I'm, and, and if you notice, in, I don't know if you guys remember this, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus gives them this nickname, Sons of Thunder. 
And I studied that. And I was like, what's this all about? What's this Sons of Thunder thing all about? I couldn't find any answers. There's, there's a, lot of, uh, can, a lot of kind of mixed interpretations as to why Jesus gave this name. But it's almost as if James and John are saying, oh, and by the way, you know, right hand to left. And from now on, we really love that nickname you gave us in Mark chapter 3. From now on, if you can just refer to us as th- Sons of Thunder, that would be great. Like Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, and the Sons of Thunder. You know, like we're starting a tag team, you know, wrestling team here, and we got to make sure we're marketed properly and that everybody knows who we are going forward. So if you can do that for us, we would greatly appreciate it. Now, doesn't that sound ridiculous, what I'm saying right now? But in reality, many of us do those kinds of things in our prayer all the time. God, would you move me forward? Would you make it so other people recognize all that I do? Would you make it so people, you know, I would have greater favor with other people? Would you make it so I would be more respected? Maybe we don't say those things, but sometimes our intentions are like that. That we're wanting to propel ourselves forward in some way, and we're asking God to do it. Some way that gives us some kind of recognition. And this is what... It's taking place in this text, this power grab that James and John are trying to get. And so I started to be hard on them and telling, and that they tell Jesus what they wanted. But, but I, we got to be reminded here, this is an example. James and John are examples of some of the first and the greatest men to ever serve Christ. That after the ascension and resurrection, these men would be solid Like, these are the examples. These are the ones that the churches began because of these men. But yet they still have these imperfections. They still have this this desire for power. And you can certainly say that things maybe have changed after the the resurrection and ascension of Christ and and the, the, the Holy Spirit that was placed upon them. But what is going on is these guys, they just don't understand yet. They're trying to bring the ways that they've always understood, the kingdom of the world, into this new kingdom that Jesus is bringing Fourth, and they had this. They had yet come to understand that they were serve. They were there to serve God rather than to serve for power. So, and there's just like this this idea that we bring with us. And you, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands or anything, but we we've got to be really honest with ourselves because we all do this. And I'm pointing this out because it's in conflict to what the Lord wants to do in our life. We often have this attitude that God owes us something. I've done this for you. Now I'm expecting this in return. I'm at church every Sunday. So, Lord, how could you let this happen to me in my life? I've served enough. I've been faithful enough. I mean, when do I get something out of this? Now, come on, I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but you know you've thought this way before. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because now this is where we have two great men, James and John, and that Jesus is about to redirect them and show them what his way is and how it's different than their way of thinking. It's, It's different than the kingdoms of this world and how man tries to get his hand and manipulate things. And here's what Jesus says. It begins, oh, by the way, as it says, Christ does not owe you something. He does not owe you something. Because I want you to understand that this is the root. This is the root of bitterness in faith. 
Something tra- We've been talking about tragedy and our attitude through tragic moments. Something tragic happens in our life, and all of a sudden we are upset with God. He did this somehow. He let this happen. When we have to recognize that the gospel is loaded with the reality that when you get into this, you are signing on to a certain level of suffering. You are signing on to a certain level of challenge that in those challenge, in those moments that we like to label tragic, is those moments where the Spirit of God can shine forth and reveal himself through you. But this, this will never make sense to you. If, if church and if Christianity is all about the hands of God, what God can do for me. So this is the root of all bitterness and faith. When we're entitled Christians, we feel like God owes us something. We've been faithful in this. Now, God, you've got to give this to me. Now, he's a loving father. He's, he desires a relationship with you. He's working things out for his purposes, but in, in, in accordance with his will. But, he's, but, he's, but, he's, but as long as we're working with him, we get to experience his kingdom. I'm going to talk about more of that here in just a minute. So here's what happens. He's beginning to redirect them. And here's what he says in verse 38. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? See, Jesus didn't see life as a sword, as something to be fought for, but as a cup, as something to be received. See, a cup in Scripture often meant this idea of suffering. Something you were given that maybe you didn't want to take. It's like that. It's like that medicine, that gross medicine you've been given to take, or those pills, or something. Nobody's ever excited about taking the pills or anything, but it's like this thing that you've been given to take. It's been handed to you. And this is how Jesus looked at life, and this is what he's telling James and John. He, he can you take the cup that I have been given? Then he talks about baptism, and baptism was actually somewhat common in those days. Remember, John the Baptist was baptizing. And his baptism, many thought, um, many were familiar with this, which is why people aren't like getting in line. Well, what's, what's a baptism? What are we doing this for? Why are we all getting in the water? Everybody understood this at this time because rabbis would baptize people um, into basically into their yoke in some ways. Okay, and many people thought John the Baptist was in a scene and, and that's why they were he was doing what he was doing. And some people were a little bit um, when he said it was a baptism of repentance. That was new. But. In these moments, they recognized that a baptism was recognizing the perspective of this rabbi, of seeing things in a new way, of now being a part, having a lifestyle that would be counter to the culture and the world around them. That is what baptism meant in those moments. When Jesus says, it's like a cup in a baptism, you need to begin to Receive the life that you've been given because it's not going to be like the way that you're thinking, the ways of the world, the power grabs of the world. My ways are different. With great power comes a cup and a baptism. The application here is that the Christian life is something not to be fought for, but received. Or a few new perspectives. It's not just a few new perspectives to add to your life, but a complete change that in most cases will operate counter to the culture of your day. The next thing we want to talk about in verses 39 through 40 is called the power in a yes. The power in a yes. 
Here's, what, here's how James and John respond. They say, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. I love this part in the text because this happens all the time in, 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 in the church and in, 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 in the life of a, of a Christ follower. It says that when here they are, they're saying yes to something they don't even know what they're saying yes to. Do you want to sit next to me, right? And they say, yes, we do. Okay, Jesus, okay, you have no idea what you're saying yes to right now. But here's what the Lord does in our own naivety. This is what the Lord does. He says, okay, you're in. I'll take that yes. (laughs) It's like raising our hand for something. We don't even know we're volunteers. Like when the teacher says, I need two volunteers. And five kids pop their hands up. All right, you guys are going to come clean the chalkboards after school later today. Okay, thanks so much for signing up. And that's in some ways that's like what is going on here. That he takes this, yes, because we, hopefully you've recognized this, the truth is found on the journey. What it, what it means to follow after God wasn't just in the moment I said yes so that one day I could enter into heaven. That something else is found in the journey of what the Lord has for us. The power of his spirit, repentance, cha- turning from who we were and allowing the presence of God to bring forth change in our life. The Lord takes that yes, even though we don't even know what we're getting into. Maybe it was like that when you bought a used car, when you bought a timeshare, when you bought a boat for the first time. Maybe you didn't know what you were getting into. When you tried sushi, when I tried sushi for the first time, that was what it was like for me. When somebody asked you, hey, do you want a Hertz donut? You said, yes, sounds good. Maybe you're an adult and you decided it was a good idea to take your kids to Disney World. or We're going to go to four parks in four days. It's going to be great. No idea what you were getting into. But this is what the gospel is like. This is what Jesus is doing in this moment. I'll take that, yes. I know you don't get it yet. Because what is his command? He says, just like we said in the text last last week, take up your cross and what? Follow me. Just stay with me. I'm going to show you some things. I know you don't get it yet, but stay with me and I will show you. So the application here is that, is that it's okay that you haven't figured it out yet and that you failed along the way. The point is that you keep saying yes to the will of the Lord in your life. And in this moment, we're going to have a moment of reflection. What is the last thing that you have said yes to in your walk with the Lord? ask you that again. What is the last thing that you have said yes to in your walk with the Lord? Go ahead. Think, think about it for a moment. Hopefully it was something recently. Maybe it was a few weeks ago. Maybe it was a month ago. Maybe, you know, if, if we have to go pretty far back, then it's a sign that maybe there's not that much of a journey still going on. I said yes a long time ago, and that's all I needed, right? In this relationship, we're going to find ourselves continuing to say yes. Now, here is the tougher question I have to ask you. Once you find that yes, was that a yes that something you just heard? Or was it a yes that you have applied? Because in church services like this, and in moments in prayer, we allow the Lord to speak to us in many ways. But his truth are not meant to just be heard. 
they're meant to be applied. And so, Lord, help us to see the moments in our life where we can apply your truth. All right, so finally, the power under authority. I'm going to read verses 41 through 45. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. <laughs> they heard that they asked. They heard that they asked Jesus if they could be to their right and their left. And Jesus, he says, yes, but, and it's not, and here's what he, here's, here's his explanation. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who, regarded, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. What Jesus is describing here is something called power under authority. I, I read this in a book that I've had on my shelf for years by a guy named Greg Boyd, and um, he puts it really well in, in, you know, in, in a theological point of what this power under authority is all about. So I want to read this page to you here. It says, The kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God advances by people lovingly placing themselves under authority others and service to others at cost to themselves this coming under doesn't mean that followers of jesus conform to other people's wishes but it does mean that we always interact with others with this with their best interests in mind following the example of christ and in stark contract to the modus operandi of the world we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility regard others as better than ourselves. We are to look not to our own interests, but to the interests of others. This is all, that's Philippians 2, 3 through 4. We are to seek, not seek our own advantage, but that of the other. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 24 and 10, 33. Following Jesus' example, we are to find honor in washing people's feet. That is, in serving them in any way we can. So too, in following our master, we are to seek to do good and free all who are oppressed by the devil while we voluntarily bear others' burdens. We are to outdo one another in showing honor, not receiving honor, showing honor, and never be competitive with others. Wow, counter to our world today. We are to put up with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves, always asking how we might please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. We are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, take in the homeless, befriend the friendless, and visit the condemned prisoner. All of this involves exercising power under. We are to engage in this behavior not out of duty to an abstract ethic, but because the life of the one who came under all humanity on Calvary is, I love this last part, is pumping kingdom life through our veins. In other words, you do it because you're the real thing and the real God lives within you. And you can't help but notice this contrast from the ways of the world that seems off and just doesn't seem right, but yet God is showing me another way, a way of truth. And see, I want you to understand because 
you know, as he says further in that, that text about, because this way brings transformation in others. Now, I'm not saying that in some supernatural, I don't know what, how it happens, but the, the Spirit of God just does it, brings transformation in others when we're willing to be humble, when we're willing to be served. But, church, you've already seen this before. You've already had that experience when someone shows you unadulterated kindness. You know, that, that, that kindness that they've shown to you in a way that, yeah, I don't know if I would ever do this for someone myself, but here you are doing this for me. Remember how you felt in those moments? It's like you were motivated to be a better person yourself. It's like you were in touch with the goodness in this world and not this nasty stuff that we experience, this, these power grabs that we experience in our culture every day. See, you, we've seen the power over authority enough, but you've, you've, you've felt that unadulterated goodness. Like, like, I've heard stories recently of Ukrainians laying their life on the line. A woman who gets her family safe in Poland and goes back into the battlefield, to take, goes back into Ukraine to take care of all of these orphans. She's no longer on any kind of payroll. She's doing this because it is the right thing, because circumstances in, our life ha, ha, in her life have changed to now where she recognizes what truly matters. Well, I say that because I think we all wonder sometimes what we would be capable of if our world really did change, if everything we've always had, our homes and our stability, all of a sudden, in the course of three weeks, it gets ripped apart and, and torn to pieces. But, see... What Jesus is talking about here, as we talked about in last text, last week, excuse me, is sacrificial service. Being able to lay yourself down in a way that costs you something. See, in these cases, things have happened that have forced them to be in new situations. But the Lord says, yeah, if you're going to serve, if you're going to practice power under authority in this world, you're going to have to give up some stuff. And the number one thing you're going to have to give up more than anything is your pride. <laughs> that, that constant desire that thinks this is all about you. And this is what sacrificial service is. And you will receive power, as he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria in places for people where there are people that are not like you. <laughs> because if it's all about us, we want to go to people like us. We want to have power over them. And Jesus says, you will witness to them. You will serve them. Now, the, the, the truth that we see in other texts, I told you I wasn't going to get too many other texts out today, but it says you, I give you a few other verses to talk about spiritual authority. And there's this biblical truth that you have all the power in the world when you come under the one true authority in this world. And that is Christ. See, I was studying, I've studied about modern day men and women of God that did these great things. You know, I come from a charismatic background. So these are people that raised the dead. These are people that, that laid hands on people who had been paralyzed for years and, and seen their lives turned around. These are people that, that, had, that, that, that performed these, these crazy supernatural miracles. And here's the two things I always remember from studying those people, okay? And it falls 100% in line with what we've talked about today, going back to James and John. It didn't take long to read and understand before you saw their weaknesses. 
Like, how could they be a Christian and they have this issue? Like, how could they be a Christian and they still have this thing going on in their life at times? Y'all know how that's true. We're all a bunch of imperfect people sitting here. And even these amazing men and women of God, like people like Smith Wigglesworth, like Catherine Coleman, like Reinhard Bunke, and a few others that, that I've studied in the past, David Yongi Cho, they all had these obvious weaknesses, but you know what else that was consistently characteristic about all of them was they spent significant amount of time on a regular basis with the Lord. They understood this idea of praying without ceasing. And it didn't always have to be in their own private prayer time, but they had this attitude of prayer that they took with them because then if you're going to serve sacrificially, you need to continue to be reminded of who you are. And they, because they spent so much time with the Lord, they were much more influenced by kingdom of God things than things of the kingdoms of this world. So in our closing question, as we conclude today, closing application, I ask you the question, are you here to consume and gain power? Or are you here on this earth to serve? See, power under authority is yours to receive. A baptism that you can enter into even if you don't know what you're getting into. Today, just in this moment, I just want to encourage you to to close your eyes for a second. Today in front of you is a moment to sacrifice. To push something, kingdom of the world, away. And say yes to the living God. Just take a minute and identify what that is. I want you to sense yourself saying yes to something. As you've identified the yes that the Lord has been speaking to you, I want you to know, man of God, woman of God, there is your power grab. There's how you receive kingdom power. By saying yes to That sacrificial yes, the things that cost you something, things that maybe you know the Lord's been saying but you don't want to do, the things that just consistently, your your ears have been open, you know the Lord is saying this to you, it's time to say that yes. And maybe you don't know what it means, you don't know what it's going to cost you down the road, that's just like James and John. But say yes, the power of the kingdom of God and receive his authority in your life. Lord, I thank you for each and every one that has come this morning. I thank you for your word as you have spoken to to James and John and all the disciples and you're still speaking the same thing to us today. To lay aside the pursuits of this world and to serve. To follow your model and to serve. And even in times we don't understand, but we're men and women that are willing to say yes, we can hear your, your still small voice that simply says, follow me. Fall in line. Come do what I do. Spend time with me. Recognize who I am. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. And thank you, Lord, for your call to serve in such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I want to invite you to stand for your benediction this morning. Again, reminder, we still have quite a few holes with altar decorators, greeters, and some homeless shelter meals. If you're able to sign up for those in the back before you go, we would greatly appreciate it. Remember, next Sunday.